Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. I'm Dr. John Herding, here with Dr. Nick Paragini. How's it going, guys? Coach Rob Rubina. How are we doing, everyone? And Dr. Ray Carr. Hey, how is everyone doing today? So today we're going to talk about tendinopathies. So in the past, they've been known as tendinitis, whether it's um, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, Achilles tendinitis. It's probably something that most people have dealt with some um, point in their lives. And now um, the medical community has kind of stopped um, you know, distinguishing between a tendinitis, which is like it used to be an acute inflammation of a tendon and um, a tendinosis, which used to be a chronic. And now they're just calling, medical community is just calling tendon problems, tendinopathies, um, which just basically describes um, there's a problem in your tendon. Um, but that the way that we approach it um, as therapists and strength, strength professionals hasn't necessarily changed a ton, um, just as we've stayed up on the research through the years. Um, but basically what we're thinking about here, um, I'll go ahead and get into it. And um, as with a lot of the way that we treat people is proximal position is going to lead to um, distal loading. And if proximal position doesn't create a proper foundation to load um, joints and tendons and, and stress distal appendages appropriately, you're probably going to lead to increased stress um, somewhere down the line as foot strikes the ground or a hand, um, a racket strikes a tennis ball or a, a golf club strikes a ball. So, um, you know, basically we're still looking at it as how do we figure out position of a foundation proximally that sets up position for um, appendages um, as they make contact and put stress to the system. But then at some point too, research is now showing that in order to fix a tendon or to to help um, rehab a tendon, you have to load it. But it has to be a graded exposure to both volume and load to appropriately stress the tendon so it adapts to be able to tolerate load without getting inflamed again. Um, so it's a multi-step process where we have to set a foundation to distribute force distally and then load that distal tendon appropriately to make sure that it can tolerate stress as it continues to adapt to the high forces um, people put on it, whether it's an athlete or just an everyday um, person walking up the stairs. Um, so, um, but a, a big part of our programs as strength and rehab professionals is that management of the load um, once we set the foundation. And that's where we either make or break the rehab, what, because we need to be very good at dosing the volume and the load appropriately to these tendons. Um, and we've seen that people kind of, a lot of our patients, a lot of our clients think that it's counterintuitive. Well, you know, my Achilles tendon hurts. Why am I going to hurt it while I'm putting load on it? But again, that's the, um, our outcomes are showing, that's what the research is showing, that appropriate load will cause the tendon to adapt to a stress, um, ultimately healing and moving forward. I see, Nick, you're shaking your head a lot. What do you, what do you got? Obviously, you have some input on that. Yeah. You know, I think everything you said there is, is uh, really on point. I think, you know, the biggest thing when we're looking at, you know, tendinopathies uh, presenting in the appendages, such as, 
you know, shoulder uh, or knee or Achilles is, is making sure we're, you know, we're looking above and below and, and obviously looking proximally. And what that may look like is, you know, creating a good foundation by restoring uh, movement variability uh, within the, within the, um, the appendicular skeleton, meaning, Hey, we have a, we have a shoulder issue let's, or we have an elbow issue. Let's make sure we're, you know, addressing, you know, shoulder range of motion. You know, we have a, a knee or ankle issue. Let's make sure we're uh, addressing variability and movement options uh, throughout the hip range of motion. Um, and then, you know, I think it's one, one of the big things here, I think, in tendinopathy is just kind of understanding how people are explaining their symptoms. You know, like you said, we've gotten away from this idea of referring uh, to these, these issues as tendinitis or uh, tendinosis. And now have gone to term the terminology is now reactive tendinopathy and degenerative tendinopathy, and those presentations are going to be a little bit different. So depending on the feedback that we're getting, it's going to allow us to make better decisions from a loading perspective and management perspective of what this person needs. So you know the reactive tendinopathy is going to be someone who you know something kind of all of a sudden is flaring up, and in this person maybe load is not. The best option, but kind of deloading the area and that tendon might serve as as uh, the best bet in from a management perspective. In comparison, something like a degenerative tendinopathy, which maybe has been going on for a few months, will typically get better with a warm up, get better with movement. And this is something based off these this feedback and subjective information is going to let us know that this person will probably respond well to some high time under tension loading protocols. And, and in the past, the gold standard in tendinopathy and tendinitis has been uh, high time under tension and specifically eccentrics. You know, through Jill Cook's research, you know, we're learning that it's not necessarily just eccentrics, but rather full time under tension is going to be the thing that remodels the tendon. Um, and hopefully as an, a secondary outcome is going to help impact someone's pain uh, with loading of that tendon. So again, differentiating between, you know, this, this reactive tendonitis, which may be something that actually needs to be deloaded a bit versus a degenerative tendinopathy, which is maybe a more chronic issue that gets better with a warmup is going to be something that definitely responds well to, you know, as we mentioned, high time under tension. Um, and more specifically, what Jill Cook has shown is that this HSR protocol, uh, which is going to usually be a four second negative, three second ascent. Um, in a given range of motion over the course of eight to 12 weeks um, is going to be kind of the gold standard in remodeling the tendon and also addressing an individual's pain. Now, can you define HSR for everyone? Yeah, yeah. HSR is going to be heavy, slow resistance training. And really, again, this is, this is a templated protocol um, that is basically a linear progression in intensity over anywhere from eight to 15 weeks. And you know, as, as an example, if we're looking at, you know, someone with a, a patellar or quad tendinopathy, again, what we want to do is we want to load that tendon in week one. And there's a, a few protocols or, or frameworks that we want to follow. But for example, three sets of 15, let's say in a, in a, in a split lunge pattern with, with both feet on the ground, where we're doing a four second negative, a three second ascent, three sets of 15, um, you're going to have the, the person select a weight. It could be body weight. It could be upper body assisted. It could be in a goblet position. 
that puts them at a RPE of eight out of 10 uh, by the end of that set. Um, so again, for a lot of people, three sets of 15, body weight, lunge, four second down, three second up to get an eight, to get an eight out of 10 RPE is probably going to be body weight or potentially upper body assisted. So that's, that's pretty much the protocol that it, and it progresses in a, you know, ideally weight or range of motion, depending on the, the sensitivity of the, of the issue. Yep. Um, and generally RP, just to define RPE eight out of 10 means you, you've left a couple reps in the tank. You're not totally, uh, you know, taking the gas out, but you're leaving a couple reps in the tank. Um, and then with that being said too, you mentioned working through pain a little bit there, Nick. Um, we're not letting people go above clinically above a five out of 10. Right. If they're reaching above, if the pain threshold is, uh, you know, above five out of 10, then you know what, maybe we're loading it too much or the volume's too much, or it's just not an appropriate um, exercise at the time. Um, but if you're able to work through pain, that's two, three, four, then keep rolling with it. And eventually you see the pain kind of decrease. Um, so it's okay to work through pain a little bit here. Um, and as you were talking about the different thresholds of loading there, Nick, it's um, important to recognize too that loading for some people could be just, uh, you know, taking a muscle into a stretch, mm -hmm. depending on how provocative the pain is, right? Um, but it could go all the way up into, hey, you know what, towards the end, uh, the higher ends of this protocol, we're having you load a single leg um, heel raise with 50 pounds. Right. right. Just that, that serves by the end of this protocol, you've taken all the proper progressions and now we're gonna bulletproof, the la bulletproof you the last couple of weeks to make sure that you're good to go, you're ready to go sprint, for instance, in that case. Yeah, I, I think one of the takeaways there is that, you know, with this rating of perceived exertion being an eight out of 10, you know, really what we're trying to say is that this needs to be tough enough that we're stimulating an adaptation in the tissues you know, rather than just kind of doing, you know, 30 reps of something mindlessly that really isn't challenging or promoting a change, you know, from a cellular level. Um, and again, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the issue there is that we're trying to make sure we're getting enough load through the system that we're creating a change. And if we're not, we're not remodeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think the whole point of the rate of uh, perceived exertion being so high is, just the amount of tension and time under tension needed to make a change centrally in the tendon. Um, and I think, I know you guys touched on it, pain. I think commonly, I think pain scares people, right? Um, but I think, you know, and I think, you know, Nick, you uh, have brought on your spectrum of exposure to protect, right? Um, and I think that fits in here a little bit. You have to find where your client is along those but ultimately pain is okay uh, to a certain extent with this, especially when reintroducing tension back to a tendon, um, chronic tendinopathy. Yeah. Yeah. Well said there, right? And again, you know, it can, can seem counterintuitive to, you know, have some pain with, with exercise. And that's really where determining if this is uh, the, the degenerative tendinopathy versus acute te or a, a reactive tendinopathy is really important. So getting a good history is going to give us, it's going to build the case. It's going to give us more evidence that this person probably needs to be loaded more versus someone who has an acute or reactive tendinitis or tendinopathy. They're probably more on that, you know, protect spectrum where we don't need to be exposing them to these loads um, so early on in this, in this, uh, 
in their situation. So yeah, exposure yeah. protect is just lets us know this person's ready for load. This person needs to kind of be, you know, uh, sheltered from, from load right now. Yeah. And then I also think, I mean, in terms of, right, like we want to, we all want to be great clinicians, great strength coaches, right? And I think in order to do that, we really have to dive in and go to the origin of what's going on, right? And I think John mentioned that in the very beginning, like unless we fix these proximal stability issues, right? Um, you know, there's going to be undue stress being placed down the proximal system, you know? So, I mean, just to highlight that again. Can, 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 go ahead. I just want to bring a point. So, like, Nick, you gave a good example of, like, the lunge position. I think, you know, uh, speaking of the load, like, like I know I remember I had to go through just for an elbow issue that I had, um, and I wasn't expecting to hold, like, a 30-pound dumbbell in my hand to do, like, a, a wrist eccentric or, or um, training, like a – like I think people don't understand how much weight you have to do to get that eight out of 10 RP. I think that's like, that's hard. We're not doing like wrist extension exercises with five or right. two and a half pound dumbbells. I think those days are, are over, you know, if you're going to follow this protocol and follow the results that you're going to have to get, you have to use a heavy dumbbell. Yeah. Yeah. And another, another point here is like, obviously we're talking about remodeling, right, to get this like eight out of 10 RPE. But, you know, that's not really necessarily specifically addressing pain. And I think there are a few things at play here when it comes to pain. I think, you know, part of it is like this analgesic effect that we're able to get through, you know, heavy loading, right? And, and like this mu and like very specific uh, muscular fatigue or burn can actually be analgesic in nature. Um, and so, you know, uh, we're getting this remodeling, but we're also getting, I think this, this temporary analgesic effect from the load, um, from like that deep, you know, muscle fatigue feeling as well. Um, but in this protocol, like a de degenerative tendinopathy, like pain shouldn't, isn't like our main focus. Like we're not worried from, you know, rep to rep or set to set, like how much our pain is necessarily changing. We're more looking at how changing is changing like over the course of a week or two weeks, for example. And, and as long as we're staying the course and we're loading appropriately and progressively, we know that we're probably going to get positive changes, which can be which can be tough when you're working one on one with someone like in an hour session where obviously we want changes quickly. But when something's been going on for three to six months, sometimes it just means that it's going to take a little bit while for the body to adapt favorably in regards to pain. Yeah. I, I think the key in what you just said, Nick, was staying the course and loading appropriately. So you can't get ahead of yourself when dealing with the tendinopathy. When you get ahead of yourself, you're just going to set you back, right? Yeah. So if you're looking at an eight to 16 week protocol of proper progressions, then you're, you're looking at, all right, I'm starting a process to make sure that I don't have to deal with this again and I don't get set back. Um, so staying the course and loading appropriately is the key here. As long as you just have to put trust in the protocols that are out there that have been well-researched um, and understand that I'm not going to stop this protocol early just because I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the best rehab like protocol is going to involve that eight to 16 week load, load progression, say to a tennis elbow, right? Say we're dealing with a thrower. 
Um, but also, like, I think it's important to note that in that six or that eight to 16 weeks, like, that's a time to take advantage of those proximal stability issues, that scap weakness, those areas that ultimately have led to the stress and the overstress being taking place at the elbow. Um, so I think it's got to be a combined effort. You know, it's got, yeah, you got to address the elbow symptoms there, but unless you want to keep going in circles, then you also need to address things more proximally as well. Yeah. Really, really good point there is like, Hey, this is co-current, right? We're able to co-currently address local, which is going to be the actual tendon and address global, which will be, you know, making sure we're restoring movement options, you know, upstream. And Rob, like I would even say that, again, there's all of these pieces of the puzzle that can be contributing to the tendinopathy. I think one of the most underlooked, you know, things is like a technique, technique from a technique standpoint, right? How we're performing an exercise, right? How we're going up for a layup or jump shot, right? How, you know, how we're, we're fielding a ground ball or how we're throwing. Like these are all things from like a movement standpoint that can contribute to why we're feeling what we're feeling. I think without looking at the actual movement, that is the, the person's initial chief complaint, you know, we want to see like, Hey, is there anything from a, like a technique or movement standpoint that maybe we can alter to affect where stress is being placed? For example, like a, you know, really far anterior translation of the knee in a lunge. Like, can we clean that up and will that help? Well, Absolutely. That be, Absolutely. Yeah. That should be part of the strength and conditioning and rehab program as you're, cleaning up proximal stability, as you're cleaning up um, the tendon's ability to tolerate load, you're cleaning up all of these form issues. So at the end of these 16 weeks, you're good to go. You, right. You've gotten through, um, you know, whether your clinical decision-making means at the 13th week of the 16, you're starting to return to play procedures, or you really do feel like you have to wait until the 16th week to then begin your return to play. Um, you know, those, you should be addressing technique from day one on top of, fixing all the proximal, fixing all the distal stuff to get ready for the return to play. And then it just, and then it still becomes a, a volume and a load management thing on top of all the foundational stuff you've already done. Right. Because I mean, Rob, how many, how many ball players have you, have you treated and seen and written programming for that might get medial elbow pain, but yet they can't get into left AF internal rotation. You know what I mean? I mean, a lot, I mean, a lot. I mean, a lot. Exactly. And that's where I think, you know, this is obviously a multifactorial issue. This is a team effort issue. You know, this isn't just as simple as like, you know, go do this and it's going to get better. You know, you have to clean up your daily activities. You know, um, it's not as simple as, as, as one thing has to change. You have to change everything. You know, change what's causing the problem. You know, change your training program, change your rehab program. And everyone has to work together to get to get the outcomes that, that everyone wants, which is, you know, a pain-free lifestyle and, and able to bench press a lot of weight. <laughs> but I, and I think, um, I don't know, guys, it would be great to get your input, but I feel like the tendinopathy, the protocols, it keeps us honest and it keeps us on a standardized approach to treating an injury where I feel like in the rehab and strength and conditioning worlds, it could almost be like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks where every single session looks different in certain rehab clinics or certain um, gyms. And I feel like this actually puts us on a, a protocol that says, this is what you're doing today. This is what you're doing four weeks from now. We're going to follow this progression and make sure we do it the right way instead of 
um, just throwing new exercises at a person just to keep them engaged. Trust the process. <laughs> yeah. The the yeah. protocol. Ray, were you going to go? Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I think in addition to the protocol, like two of the biggest things I look at and just stick it with like a thrower is load management and then mechanics. Because again, like if we're going to be good at what we do, we need to fix the origin of, of these issues. Um, and so I think, again, the proper and the, the correct rehab protocol would encompass addressing mechanics, load management, reintroducing load to that tendon using the HSR, fixing proximal stability, fixing things upstream, um, the whole nine. So that's all. So, so Rob, how are you, when you're um, seeing someone in a performance setting, are you integrating some of these um, heavy, slow resistance techniques um, just to kind of help them get over it in your programs? Or how are you addressing someone that comes in on eval and they say they have a little bit of, you know, what comes across to you as a tendinopathy somewhere? How are you generally programming for them right away? I mean, right away, um, I would probably hold off on, on direct loading of a specific area or position pattern that could be causing some issues and let the therapist kind of handle that that issue or that pain um, and then we'll train and hit the weights hard and find some pain-free exercises and, and ranges of motion that a person can move around feel good get a sweat in and you know train some train some other goals and other areas that we that we can attack hard you know if we can't if we can't lunge because of a knee tendinopathy you know i'm not going to lunge you know we're, we're, we're going to do some other things that we can you know heavy deadlifts or heavy hip thrusts or heavy sled pushes other things that we can still still do to receive a good training effect and then link that up with a good therapy program and and obviously you guys have just shared you know, all your thoughts and opinions on what you would do with someone in that situation. And, and, and usually that's how I, how I go about, you know, working with someone that has to deal with the tendinopathy. And I think understanding and, and educating the client on expectations of, Hey, this isn't going to be like a, a one day fix is, is, is also part of, of a successful training and rehab program as well with someone that deals with tendinopathy. Nice. I love it. So that's, that's where both, I, I feel like we've all kind of touched on that management of expectations where again, with this protocol driven program, it's, Hey, you know what, this is going to take eight to 16 weeks. We're going to be doing this. This is what we need to stick on regardless of how you're feeling um, through the process. As long as we're sticking to the rules of engagement, you, you'll come out of this on the other end feeling better. It and I'll say, you know, obviously being able to communicate that is important. You know, the, the upside of giving, you know, I think when we, we, we all hear eight to 16 weeks, we're like, wow, like that's a, that's a long time. I think the reality is a lot of times when we're going through this protocol, it's not taking that long. But by setting the expectation that, hey, it could take this long and now we're feeling better in four weeks, that's a win. It's a win from, from our perspective. And it's also a win from the, from the client. Hey, it's like, Hey, like, guess what? Like I'm feeling better. You said eight weeks, I'm good in four. Now at that point, it's important that just because we're feeling better, that doesn't give us a great idea of the actual health of the tendon. And so that's why, you know, completing a course eight weeks, we know we're truly getting adaptation 
from the cell and, and physiological level. Um, even if we're not, even if pain isn't our, our main focus and probably for a lot of our athletes and the people that we're seeing, they could benefit from, you know, a two, three month cycle of the, of this high time under tension for general tendon health, regardless of their experiencing pain or not, you know, especially yeah. in our, our CrossFit population in our athletes that probably need some remodeling of those tissues, regardless of pain is present or not. Not only that, I feel like having the chance to start at ground zero for some of these folks is huge. I mean, you know, so even though, yeah, you're right, they might feel better in four to six weeks to set that timeline and to look at where you're starting, especially, I mean, how many tendinopathies come in and are like, oh, yeah, I've only been hurting for a week or two? None. It's always eight weeks, four months, two years. You know what I mean? So what's 16 weeks in the big you know, in the scheme of things, when you're actually given a chance to start at ground zero to fix those proximal issues, properly reintroduce load back to the tendon and make changes centrally so that this issue doesn't happen again. Rob, did you have something there? Or were you going to say something? Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was going to just say, like, I think after that, like, if I'm seeing someone that just did eight weeks of therapy, like, proper and individualized training is is a, is a must for that person because we can't have that person just jump right back to whatever activity they were doing we have to you know continue the therapy program that was included in and and reintroduce proper exercises um you know if, if we're sticking with you know uh, the knee like you know we're still going to do beginner low load um you know tempo based exercises to build them up to more advanced, you know, whether it's rear foot elevated or single leg squat variations, you know, some hard single leg, we can't just jump right to that. Um, and a lot of people think, Oh, I'm pain free. I can do anything. No, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And just even one more, one more tidbit uh, to add on like tendinopathy and, and really what we're finding is that, you know, there's this idea of, um, you know, uh, cyclic versus mechanical loading. And, you know, what, what we're seeing is that like early on in a, in a tendinopathy, some of the things that we might want to limit that may be more provocative or sensitive for the tendon is like, is, is ballistic loading, which can think you can think about like triple jumping or double unders or very dynamic movements where we're using a stretch reflex of the tendon compared to on the other end of the spectrum, something like an isometric or like, you know, a wall set where it's mechanical loading. It's a lot of time under tension. It's stationary. Um, so again, just understanding that maybe early on we're giving people a framework, which to work within, which might say, Hey, we're going to limit this dynamic stuff. We're going to limit, you know, crashing at the bottom of a squat in a wall ball or Olympic lifting or your triple jumps or repetitive, um, plyometrics. And we're going to sneak more isometrics or high time under tension work for your first first four weeks of the program. And sometimes just limiting that ballistic or cyclic work can be the thing that gives the tendon a chance to remodel and heal instead of continuing to uh, utilize that stretch reflex. Love it. Good stuff. Any closing thoughts before we wrap this up, guys? That, that was a good way to end it there, Nick. Um, but anyway, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate everyone who listens to our content. If you like it, please share. 
Um, if you have any questions or concerns or anything, please email me, John, J-O-N, at precisionperformancept.com, and we'll take care of you. Um, until next time, guys, appreciate it. Thank you. Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming, one-on-one -on -one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals? If you're interested in any one of these, please email John at J-O-N at precisionperformancept.com, and he can help you get started today.